0: Okay, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to gather here at the river, and um, we're going to have a little devotion uh, based upon a writing of Martin Luther. Um, Please grab a cup of coffee and enjoy yourself. All righty. Um, we'll start with a, a prayer and then um, a little background to this um, sincere admonition by Martin Luther. If we can, let us pray. Well, Lord, may maybe we properly see and understand how as Christians we should live in an unchristian world. Help us to be able to live under and through the authority which you have established. When that authority becomes corrupt, help us to know with wisdom how it is that we might respond. But we pray that in all things, that all things would work through order and goodness, and that you would bring about not only the restoration and the establishment of peace in this world, but through that peace and through the environment of peace that your gospel, your good and wonderful news of, of salvation would pass out into the world both through the church and even through us individually. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Obviously it was impossible for uh, us to um, print the entire thing. Uh, You should have it it there before you. But this is uh, intended to be a bit of a a devotional piece. Um, Maybe I should just kind of wait for everybody to settle in. Um, Yeah, um, Martin Luther um, was holed up in the Wartburg Castle. The elector, of course, had put Luther there because of the impending imperial ban against Luther, which would mean that anybody who saw Martin Luther could put him to death. And as he was hiding out, things got kind of bad in Wittenberg because a guy by the name of Karlstadt, um, who had been a professor there, decided I think probably maybe even out of envy for Luther and maybe his significance in the Lutheran Reformation, the, the beginning of the Reformation, Karlstadt was really basically an anarchist and kind of what we might describe as being the Anabaptist, meaning he was opposed to images and opposed to everything that you know, kind of had any symbolism that reminded them of Roman Catholicism, and so uh, Karlstadt was started stirring up the mob, the people. Uh, they went into the churches, they uh, tore down and tore out, they smashed uh, stained glass windows. They just basically became um, a wild mob, and um, I, the reason why this seems to be. Somewhat relevant today is that um, I guess what we're seeing is just kind of mobs all over the country. Uh, People who are not only um, engaging in, uh, you might call it uh, civil rebellion, but maybe the word that's used here is insurrection. And it's tough for us as Christians, especially if you maybe see a mob doing what the mob is doing. It's tough to know what it is that we should be doing. Sometimes the injustices are so great in a country, maybe a Ferguson or something along those lines, where you find that these people, if you kind of look into the story behind Ferguson, these people were poor people who were being pulled over by the police, being fined if they didn't pay their fines, which they didn't have money for, many of them. They were being thrown into jail, and uh, there was this pattern of almost harassing the community that brought these people to a boiling point. Now, what do you do? How do you respond to that? If their cause is just, does it justify their rebellion? Well, you and I know all the abuses that Rome had, the abuses that um, were the corruption of the clergy, the corruption of the church, the way in which they were... Basically, selling. You talk about indulgences. It's not forgiveness, but it was time out of purgatory, essentially. And and so, um, yeah, I mean, you had peasants who really were opposed to the nobility. Uh, The nobility was abusing and using the peasantry, keeping them suppressed. These peasants saw Luther as somebody who was maybe going to liberate them and help them to be able to kind of break out of this this horrible oppression that they had experienced all through the Middle Ages. And, um, and now the, the rebellion in Wittenberg minus Luther is brewing. Now, when Luther wrote this, things had not yet gotten to the point that they were so radically, that so radically happened. I think it was in December of 1521 that Luther, that things kind of broke loose. But Martin Luther... Um, Martin Luther was trying to be able to turn aside the rebellion that was going to happen. And so this is, we have some rather interesting insights and some, some I think, things that may be very appropriate to our modern day. Let's, uh, I'll, I'll just kind of read some of this, if that's all right. He says, uh, we must calm the mind of the common man and tell him to abstain from the words and even the passions which lead to insurrection and to do nothing in the matter apart from the command of his superiors or in action of the authorities. Do you think that maybe, possibly, the media today uses its power to upset the mind of the common man? Yeah, I think so too. And I think when we talk about responsible journalism, the idea is that you are not there to sell your advertisement. It's kind of a vicious circle, isn't it? That when you are constantly trying to upset people, get them stirred up and riled up, that eventually they just kind of become numb to it and they just turn it off. No wonder that the papers and the TV and all this kind of stuff, it, it seems as though the ratings go down and the advertisers don't pay as much money. I mean, they shoot themselves in their own foot. But Who's going to be the first one to bring comfort to the people? It's not going to be so bad. You have this this cartoon. I don't know if it was Gary Varvel. There was a chicken on top of a stand and he's yelling out, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And there's CNBC and ABC and all these cameras are focused upon the chicken. The sky is falling, the sky is falling. The world is falling apart. Well, Luther says... We must calm the mind of the common man. And I would suspect that probably that means that maybe you would have to be mind calmers too. You know, just to say, you know, like in Ecclesiastes, all things continue on as they always have. You think it's new that people have been wild or riotous or disobedient or, you know, the next generation, you know, we talk about the millennial generation. Poor millennials, they get beat up so badly because of their addictions to technology. It's Um, (laughs) well-deserved. So he says this course should commend itself to him for the following reasons. First, God has reserved punishment to himself. All this is ordained and decreed by God so that he alone may pour out his wrath and punishment upon them. As has been said... The princes and the lords are not thereby excused. Now notice what he's saying here. Punishment belongs to God alone but one of the ways that God punishes is through constituted, properly constituted authority. So that authorities have the responsibility to do something about or to punish those who are doing wrong. So that, that's a part of what we might call God's Wrath upon the person who is sinning. But he goes on to say, as has been said, the princes and lords are not thereby excused. They ought to do their part and use the power of their sword in an effort to ward off and moderate to the best of their ability at least some of God's wrath, as Moses did in Exodus 32. At his command, 3,000 peop- of the people were slain in order that the wrath of God might be turned away from the people as a whole. Very interesting idea. In other words, if the constituted authority doesn't do its job and God has to intervene directly, hail, like the plagues of Egypt or whatever it might be, then what happens is that the whole of the people end up suffering. So we don't oftentimes think of the, you know, the policeman who is uh, stepping into uh, a robbery or a crime or a, a situation where we saw this um, movie the other day about the riots in, De- in Detroit. You know, just pillaging and destroying the, the very houses that the people are themselves living in. If you don't stop that, Ultimately, God's wrath pours out upon a greater group of people. If the, if, maybe if the people, I'm just speculating, but maybe if the people of Germany had recognized what Hitler and his brown shirts were doing. You know, they say, have I told you? Uh, they say that apparently they, were, they, they, they had a, a group of people that were getting ready to remove Adolf Hitler if he invaded the Sudetenland. And they were counting on the fact that all these other countries were going to stand their ground and stand up to Luther. And what happened when Germany invaded the Sudetenland? Chamberlain? Yeah, he just he just simply caved in. And had they not caved in, there would have been actually a removal of Adolf Hitler from power. How many lives would have been saved if they had done? if even Chamberlain had done what he was supposed to do. So we don't, we don't see this, but the wrath of God ends up falling upon a greater body of people if the job isn't being done by those who are the properly constituted authorities. Okay, um, some uh, interesting perspectives from Luther. Second, if, even if insurrection were a practical possibility and God were willing to impose so merciful a punishment upon them, it is still an unprofitable method of procedure. It never brings about the desired improvement. So, okay, you're, gonna, you're going to engage in rebellion. Well, yeah, your cause might be good, but it never makes things better. For this reason, governing authority and the sword has been established to punish the wicked and to protect the upright, that insurrection may be prevented, as St. Paul says in Romans 13, and as we read in First Peter 2. Here's Luther's, um, uh, I guess you might say his sarcasm or his humor. But when Sir Mob, you know, he, gives it, he gives the mob a name, Sir Mob, breaks loose, he cannot tell the wicked from the upright or keep them apart. He lays about them at random, and great and horrible injustice is inevitable. So when the mob begins to work, it doesn't say, here are the bad people. Let's get them, and let's leave alone all these good people over here. The mob just burns everybody's place down. When the mob goes into rebellion, I mean, how many times? Have you heard about this? The, uh, when the Anabaptists took over Munster in Germany? The, you never heard about the Anabaptists taking over Munster? If you ever get a chance, there's a, um, there's a, a blog by a guy named Carlin uh, it's called Hardcore History. And he is the best historical storyteller you've ever heard in your life. And he tells the story about how these radical Anabaptists came to the city of Munster. And you see, it started off, the people just kind of, well, yeah, come on in here. Well, you know, we we can find ways of being able to control them. Eventually, everybody in Munster ended up suffering, dying, being killed, their their Wives were raped. I mean, it was, just, it was just horrible. It was these fanatical Anabaptists. They didn't do anything about it to start with. So we, Don Carlin, C-A-R-L-E-N, it's called Hardcore History. It's a blob, and it's for free. Now, you can send in a buck or two, or whatever it might be. Just fascinating. If you've ever got to uh, take, you know, if things get really boring at work, um, <laughs> You know, you just just hook in, hook in, and you'll be fascinated. All right. Um, where did I end that? Sir Mob, therefore keep your eye on the authorities. So long as they make no move or issue no instructions, just keep your hand, mouth and heart quiet and assume no responsibility. But if you can stir up the authorities to do something and to give commands, you may do so. So in other words, write to your congressman. There are ways of being able to respond to the injustices. Did you see, you know, you see this uh, decree, and I guess in Iceland they're intending on eliminating Down syndrome. Um, And... um, and and England now has this thing before them that they can detect, you know, be, well, the child's in the womb, they can detect Down syndrome and uh, I guess maybe even make it mandatory that a person have an abortion. And this, um, this girl, uh, by the last name of F-I-E-N, uh, Fine, I guess, all it, all it lacks is an E, um, but she, she, um, she got up at the UN and made a speech. She's a Down syndrome girl about you're, you're going to try and kill people like me. And she goes on and explains all the things that she does, all the things that she can do, how quickly she learned. Her mother wrote uh, an article that talked about how it is that everybody warned them that you know, she was going to be in, in diapers for 19 months and all this kind of stuff. Her mother said she was out of her diapers faster than her brothers were. She was a, She spoke two languages. Um, yeah, and she got a five-minute standing ovation. Let this, We are living in a world of the absolute. Um, minute the minute that you that you put a price on the value of life when a child is in the womb, there will be a price on the value of life in uh, the end of life at the old age. And it's, not, it's a very small step from euthanizing or killing a Down syndrome child to a person who might have a form of dementia later on in life. It's already setting in with me uh, and won't be long. Right? And what are we really going to do if that becomes the case? That's a blight on society. It costs us money to take care of those people who have dementia. So, um, yeah, we've got a. What are we gonna do? Well, we're not going to have insurrection, but what do you think? Do you think it's okay for us to stand with signs outside of the uh, Planned Parenthood clinic as they're giving girls opportunities for abortion? Should we do that? You would say no, some said yes. Is it, is it a peaceful way? Is it a form of insurrection to march or to hold up signs? What do you think? think it it doesn't, you, the question is, does it work? Does it, does it happen? Is the ship turning in our country today? Are more and more people becoming a little bit more concerned, maybe even don't want abortion to be there? Boy, you guys are really full of life today. <laughs> Stand up and protest those Lutherans. You know, they, they don't... Yes, It's interesting that in the Democratic Party, there, there was a small effort made to make, um, to support or accept uh, Democratic candidates that would be pro-life. And there was a really huge pushback on that on the national level. Um, is it possible to be a Democratic candidate and be pro-life? And that, that, that challenges us, doesn't it? Because we would probably say, um, there might only be a few hands that might go up here as to who is a Republican or who is a Democrat. You know, who's a Democrat? Not too many in a church where that's pro-life. If it's a matter of, you know, if we're an ELCA congregation, people would obviously very often be very much in support of abortion. But um, this this is why it is that it's getting difficult to be able to separate politics and religion because there are these encroachments that are taking place in the life, spiritual life of the church and some of the things that we support. But the question is, how do we respond? And we certainly don't bomb, do we? I haven't lately. Bomb any clinics. And then, of course, there are people who will be pro-life who will be bombing clinics, and then what do they say about us? They say that we're a bunch of terrorists, Right? That everybody who is in favor of or who is opposed to abortion is a terrorist. I mean, that's what happens: is that one one individual, a crazy person, can actually take our position and make it into look like we're fanatics. Well, Luther addresses that here a little bit later on. Let's go to third. Third, God has forbidden insurrection. Where He speaks through Moses, "Thou shalt follow justly after that which is just and against." Revenge is mine, I will repay. And again, not against, again. I was typing that. Um, Hence we have the true proverb, he who strikes back is wrong. Isn't that the bummer at at school? (laughs) There's always a kid that does something to you and you turn around and you paste him and for some reason you're the bad guy. I was, um, I'll just tell personal stories here, I was, I was playing basketball. Mark Mayer uh, plays a lot of basketball with rough guys over at uh, Carmel Lutheran, but um, I, we were playing at the India Reservation, and we were, we were a bunch of guys, and we were playing an all-Indian team. These are the Ute Indians, and they're, they're good ba- basketball players. Not a lot of real tall ones, but they're, but they're big, good basketball players. So anyway, I went up for a layup, and this one guy comes, and he plowed right underneath my knees, and I went spinning like a, well, like I did a cartwheel in the air and came smashing down, and I got up, and I just pasted him. And for some reason, the whole stands came down after me. We ran into the locker room. That was the end of the game. I just stood in the locker room holding our breath, hoping that everybody had gone home by the time that we came out the door. Was it, who is wrong? They didn't come down out of the stands in order to get the guy who did that to me. They came after me. Because my response was wrong. What a good lesson, right? It's a good way of learning. Um, well, a lot of teachers also will do that, right? You, you are not supposed to strike back. But here, no one can be his own judge. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? None of us are objective enough to be able to say we are in the right by ourselves. We, we need others, right? Have you ever found yourself asking your spouse whether or not you were right in the way in which you disciplined your children? Right? And your wife turns to you and she says, you were awfully harsh and you say why don't you stick up for me can, can we have some advice here <laughs> all right well we when you have all your all your children here um, this is one of the things that you can say when they say i think i can do this and you say well no one can be his own judge Now insurrection is nothing else than being one's own judge and avenger and that is something God cannot tolerate. God is not on the side of insurrection. Fourth in this particular case insurrection is most certainly a suggestion of the devil. Now he is at work trying to stir up an insurrection through those who glory in the gospel hoping thereby to revile our teachings as if it came from the devil and not from God. So, you'll see uh, people who, especially at that time, maybe history gives us a fairer lesson, hear these Lutheran peasants and they hear the gospel for the first time. God has set you free. You do not need to depend upon the Roman Catholic Church to produce merits of good work for you so that you can go to heaven. You can, go, you can be heard by God in your prayers. You don't have to go through a priest. You are a people who are free. Luther, we are subjects to no one. But at the same time, when they hear that, they, apply, they take the, what, what's true in the kingdom of God and they try to make it true in the kingdom of men. In a sense, like for instance, in the kingdom of God, we would say, all things belong to us, don't they? When I drive down the street... And I look at those beautiful homes down over there in Carmel. They all belong to me. The sun and the moon and the stars belong to me and you. Because as Christians, everything belongs to God and you belong to God and you are God's children. Now, if you take that principle and apply it in this world, you end up with communism, don't you? And Anna, I hear you're an expert on communism. She's looking at her folks saying, who told on me? Com- yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk a lot about communism in the coming, in the, is, I mean, what you might really describe as, what is, what is a continuum? Socialism that leads into communism. And this confusion of the, of the realms, all things belong to me, that If that were true in a temporal sense, in the worldly sense, then certainly I could take your possessions and I, they would be mine. Now, Luther here is trying to be able to say, um, this is how the devil works. He takes people who are hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, and he gets them into insurrection so that now people will say terrible things about our gospel because of the bad or terrible things that people are doing. And you know, the more just it is, the more just it is, the harder it is for us to be able to accept that. How many of you have watched the movie Braveheart? How many of you haven't watched the movie Braveheart? Oh my word. Some of these things are just icons of civilization. You have to watch Braveheart. Now, he has, he has this wife. This, it starts off at the very beginning, and they have this ancient custom, right, where the noble person has the right to be able to take a man's wife on the first day of his wedding. So you never know whether or not the child that's going to be born is going to be, belong to that noble person who's the lord of your, of your estate or whether or not it's yours, they they were basically using, I mean, in this, so they go and they take this bride, and he looks while his wife is being dragged off to the castle. Then later on, you know, our, our hero of the story, um, what's his name? Yeah, Walter, Wal- Wallace. Wallace! Yeah, Wallace has his wife, you know, secretly marries her because he doesn't want this to happen and now some soldier goes after her and tries to rape her and he goes and defends her. They end up killing her and out of just this unbelievable heartbreaking thing where they kill this innocent woman who is his wife, he becomes an insurrectionist. And Everybody likes it because it's so horribly unjust. Now, take that, watch the movie, and say to yourself, Wallace did wrong. Yeah, you you have a hard time Um, because, and Luther says, insurrection never ever makes life better. Well, let's read on. Those who read and rightly understand my teaching will not start an insurrection. They have not learned that from me. If some incite to insurrection, however, and make sense, make use of our name, what can we do about it? Must we keep our company so pure that among us there may not even be a stumbling St. Peter? So, um, you say... All right, here are all these nice Lutherans, right? And Joe the Schmo Lutheran actually goes and robs his company, defrauds him. Does that mean that as people look at us, they'll go, Oh, do not become a Lutheran because look at what Lutherans do. Now, Luther is just saying, you know, come on. You don't think that we can have a stumbling St. Peter among us and that this supposedly paints everybody? But at the same time, when those kinds of things happen, if there are fights and contentions and people from the outside are looking in, what do they say? Why should I ever become a Lutheran? Why should I embrace this gospel of Lutheranism? Why is it that that church is folding? Well, that over the, our church over there is growing by leaps and bounds. Well, don't you see and understand that growth means that you're being faithful and dying means that you are not faithful? And say, well, wait a minute. Is that it? Or is it possible that maybe we are just weak and broken sinners and that we're coming here for God's grace? I'm giving you guys the Lord's Supper today. And I'm looking down at you and I'm saying to myself, When I say, take eat, take drink, this is the true blood of our Lord and Savior given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, I look at you and I'm thinking, what sins is he repenting of right now? (laughs) What sins are on her mind (laughs) right now? Then, you know, you always kind of think, well, Walt Ullman doesn't sin. He doesn't need to take the Lord's Supper. Well <laughs> she's coughing. I, Barb, you want to speak a little bit? You speak to <laughs> yeah. And you think, you know, are we coming, are we coming as as stumbling St. Peter's? And if we had people who were really bad people who were repenting of their sins, had a a lady who, um, she, um, this is back in Connecticut, she had committed adultery on her husband. And she repented uh, in tears. She came in w- with her husband, confessed. Her husband forgave her for what she had done. But his relatives didn't. And so when she said, can I come to the Lord's Supper? I said, your husband has forgiven you. You have repented from this. Of course, that's what you need the most. You need the Lord's Supper. So she comes to the Lord's Supper, and her um, husband's Italian family finds out and sees that this is happening. And one of them shows up in my office and says, why are you giving that woman the Lord's Supper? I said, it's for the forgiveness of sins. He said, well, you shouldn't be giving it to her. I said, well, what do you expect her to do? He said, well, she should stand in the back of the church for a month or so. <laughs> okay. Well, what, what, is, what, 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 are we, what are we looking like as a church? Isn't that what it is that we're here for? To be a place of forgiveness, a refuge? And yet, the great danger is always that people will look and say, hey, if you're a Lutheran, that's the kind of thing that you do. And so, we, we want, at the same token, we don't want to have people disparage our gospel because of what it is that we have done by our life. Another good reason for us to try and live a good life. Um, time do we go to um let's go back to the next page therefore i beseech all who would glory in the name christian to be guided by what saint paul says in second corinthians uh, 3 by the way you see it says 6 chapter 3 on the side there luther was always quoting the scriptures from memory and sometimes he just simply missed the verse uh, and so, it's actually in chapter 6 of Corinthians, but that we give our opponents no occasion to find fault with our teaching. We must guard against giving them, excuse me, any occasion for slander of which they are uh, full to overflowing. This we must not, uh, do not for their sake, since they shall have to slander anyway and let the mouth speak out of the abundance of the heart. Even if they should do it with lies, as we see them doing now, but for the sake of the gospel. In other words, people who are wanting to slander you don't give a rip about what the truth is. Anybody here read um, my son Hans's article in the in the um, Federalist? Uh, Tammy, way in the back there. Okay, a little advertisement here. Yeah, it was actually rated as the, as one of the top articles this year. Uh, this, uh, this week. But he, he writes about kind of uh, how it is that many of these groups, like for instance what happened in Charlotte uh, with these demonstrations and such, that when conservative people, I would say in some respects Christian people, when they come out and they condemn racism, they will say, yeah, but you do this, or yeah, but you have this position, so that even when you come out and condemn it, they won't believe what it is that you have to say. That's because they want to slander. Now, I'm not saying that this president of ours is a guy who has a way with words, and I would think that sometimes he's an absolute buffoon when it comes down to using the wrong words for the, to speak to issues. But we must remember the office, and we have to always put the best construction on things, right? So we put the best construction on things and at the same time we recognize when they're coming after you, when they want to take you down, they don't give a dang as to whether or not you do the right thing. Luther says, as Christians, we try to be able to do the right thing not because we're going to win the slanderers but because we want to do it for the sake of the gospel. We want people to know of this beautiful forgiveness, this life, this hope that we have as Christians. And so we try not to bring disrepute to the gospel by our life. Um, Sometimes, um, you know, cursing. You know, you're cursing in public. I know you guys don't do it but I know you do it in the car. It's like people who smoke in their cars. Who smokes in their car? You just see them all the time. People texting, smoking, cursing. (laughs) Just ridiculous. So anyway, let's go on. Um, We must protect it from reproach. And put them to silence, as St. Peter bids us do, so that, uh, that so far as it is within our power, they may not be able to speak evil of us truthfully. For whatever evil they can say of us, they immediately ascribe to our doctrine. And so God's holy word, from which we derive all the honor we have, must bear our shame. But their doctrine they regard as above reproach, these noble, tender, and innocent people, Luther's sarcasm although they do nothing but evil. So always you'll find that evil tries to make a pretense of looking holy and righteous. Oh, it's so noble. They're, they're advancing the cause of the poor and the oppressed. They're there for the purpose of bringing true dignity to Christianity or whatever it might be. And then the people who represent the gospel, who speak the gospel, claim the gospel, they always want to point out how many failings they have. That's you and me. Always be aware of the fact that when you are a representative of the gospel, people are going to look for your faults and for your failings. They're going to make them up even if they're not there. They're going to project them. And then like the king's clothes, everybody's going to stand around and go, yeah, 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 we know that, Carol. We saw her. We saw her smoking in the car. No. no." (laughs) Sorry. Okay. No, she doesn't smoke. Ned does, but Ned. <laughs> next paragraph. Suppose you ask, "What are we to do if the authorities are unwilling to act?" I answer, "You are to do nothing of the kind." There are three things you should do. First, you are to acknowledge your own sins, because of which the strict judgment of God has plagued you with this anti-Christian regime, as Saint Paul foretold in Second Corinthians. Now, this is this is important. We gripe and we complain about how bad things are in Washington, D.C. We gripe and we complain about this doggone world that we're living in where a whole bunch of young people are no longer going to church and they're all going out there to San Francisco where my son is and it is absolutely the most unchurched place in the entire country. Who's to blame for that? We try to blame them. We've got to start here. This is where we start. And this is where why Roland Ziegler said every single time that there is a war it is an occasion for us to repent. Because we start with us first. We always want to make everybody else the sinner. But we are talking about us first. And that's why he says start with yourself. Then secondly, You should, in all humility, pray. As Psalm 10 says, does not, as Psalm does not, does and teaches us to do, where it says, Arise, O Lord, and lift up thy hand, forget not thy poor. My bad typing, I apologize for the mistakes. Third, you are to let your mouth become such a mouth of the Spirit of Christ. Thus we do when we boldly continue the work that has been begun and by speaking and writing spread among the people a knowledge of the rascality and deceit until he is exposed, recognized, and brought into disrepute throughout the world. This is what one of the things that, that, that even Melanchthon kind of, Luther, 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 please, look a little bit like the, like the, um, the, the Gary Barbell has a cartoon um, where Trump's getting ready to speak at a, at a conference no, you know, ask for questions. And all of his aides are going, ah, like this, you know. No, don't talk. Um, Melanchthon was kind of like this with Luther. I mean, Luther just pulled out the guns. and He just would let everybody have it. And Melanchthon just, no, 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 no. But for Luther, he said, it's the word. You got to speak the word. You got to keep proclaiming the word. Don't ever stop. Write it. Proclaim it. Go after it, build it, do everything that you can because the word is what does it, not us. And so we, we want to remember, uh, like Luther says here, don't ever give up. Now every man, he says, whether it be I or another who speaks the word of Christ, may boldly assert that his mouth is the mouth of Christ. I, for my part, am certain that my word is not mine, but the word of Christ, my mouth therefore must also be the mouth of him whose word it speaks would you pray with me the last prayer lord god father son and holy spirit may we be instruments of your truth to the world in which you have placed us keep us from bringing disrepute and shame to your blessed gospel the good and wondrous news that we have in our lord the forgiveness of sins and peace with our God through his blood and righteousness. Help us to be good citizens and subjects of our governments. Give us wisdom to bring change where there is injustice, words that can turn the evil hearts of men to the goodness of you, your word, and the true kingdom of our Heavenly Father. In your name we pray, amen. Now I said, put my name there so you didn't think Martin Luther wrote that. He would be much more eloquent than I am. All right. Um, well, uh, I hope that speaks a little bit to maybe our contemporary situation, and a lot of the the mobites that are around us, and maybe how it is that we as Christians can should respond to this uh, this world in which we are now living. Um, we have a confirmation meeting after this for our confirmant students. So let's. Uh, We've already said our prayers, so take care.